Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Formula One-on-One podcast. My name is Justin, and along with my co-host, Sashwat, we are beyond excited to bring you the latest news and updates of the upcoming Formula One season. Today, we'll be discussing two constructors who have large ambitions for the upcoming season, Williams and Aston Martin. Before we get started, please take the time to rate us five stars on whatever listening platform you're listening on. It helps us out immensely, and please share with your friends if they have any interest in the upcoming F1 season. Sashwat, how's it going? Justin, it's going really well. Great morning so far. It's been a big week in Formula One. We had, what, three car launches this week? Or four. Four, four. four. yeah. Haas, um, or the quote-unquote car reveal for Haas. Yeah, car, car launch or livery launch? Yeah, livery launch. But, um, you know, luckily one of the cars that was launched, Aston Martin, one of the constructors that we're talking about today. So, you know, I'm excited to get into it. And, yeah. Yeah. I think this is going to be a really interesting episode, much more so than Haas and Alfa Romeo uh, was last week, because we kind of both know that most likely they're going to end up at the bottom of the table. So it's not too exciting to talk about them. Um, But now I feel like we can talk a lot more about maybe the racing, some stuff that could happen on track this year, stuff that happened Mm -hmm. last year. Um, And without further ado, I think we can kind of just hop right into Williams this year and I don't know. Let's let's talk about these this drivers lineup because I, being a Red Bull fan, am enamored with their <laughs> new selection. Yeah. So next year, Williams are going to be running the lineup of Alex Albon and Nicholas Latifi. Obviously, Latifi has been with Williams for the last two seasons. Yeah, twenty twenty was his rookie season. Alex mm-hmm. Albon has been in F one for. When did he get into F1? 2018, I want to say, with Toro Rosso? Uh, I think I think it was 2019 with Toro Rosso, then okay. most of 2020, and then he did nine races with Red Bull in 2020, and then he had the... Oh, wait, no, yeah, no, I think you're right. Maybe it was 2018, then nine races with Red Bull in 2019, and then the full-time seat. Yeah, I think uh, that's what it was. Yep, yeah. I'm sorry that we already have to do an editor's note, but we were both wrong. He was at Toro Rosso in 2019 and then moved to Red Bull for the final nine races of 2019 and then had the full season seat in 2020. So sorry about that, guys. Yeah, so obviously Alex Albon was not in Formula One last year. He was very, I don't know if publicly is the right word, but he was not very well received at the end of the season by Red Bull's management. Obviously they promoted or they took on Checo Perez to be their second driver alongside Max. And Alex Albon has kind of been, I guess, doing some other driving, just kind of hanging out during the 2021 season. He did some driving in DTM, which is another racing series in Europe for AlphaTauri, which is Red Bull's sister team. So he has been driving cars, keeping those skills sharp, I guess. Yeah, and and he's been in the sim, so it's not like he's completely out of formula, uh, what's it called, like training or whatever. Yeah, and I think it was very interesting when that story came out after Silverstone about him, where oh my God, what yeah. Red Bull was having him do was just recreate Lewis Hamilton's driving lines. And I don't know how I feel about Alex Albon just being Lewis Hamilton doppelganger in the sim for Red Bull, but you know, if it keeps his skills sharp, I'm excited to see what he can do in Formula 1 this year. Yeah, me too, and... Thank you for doing your research this time. I see in the notes doc that you have the correct amount of years on his contract. Yes. It looks like they signed him to a one-year deal. So, yes. I mean, this really looks like it's kind of a prove-it deal then. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know Williams, they scored points last season, which is good because mm-hmm. they scored more points last season than they did in their previous three seasons combined, which is absolutely massive for their team. So, Alexander Albon, you know, he's kind of stepping into some big shoes here. George Russell, mm-hmm. who has been in the Williams for the past few seasons, stepped up to Mercedes, and obviously he was an absolute like godsend for Williams. He did so well in that car. Mm-hmm. He yeah. helped push it beyond its limits. And those are some pretty big shoes to fill. I mean, I, I almost feel bad for Alex Albon, the, the positions he's been given in F1. I mean, from Max Verstappen's teammate to not being taken on by any team, to now being stepping into George Russell's shoes, who's a very prospective WDC. I mean, it's got to be tough, and I, I kind of wonder how he's handling that mentally, you know? Yeah, I think it's very interesting when we talk about Alex Albon. You know, he's. I think he has the potential to be a very good driver. I think 
in total transparency to the listeners, I was not very high on Alex Albon when I was first introduced to his racing career. I wasn't always his biggest fan. But I think that, you know, understanding more of what his journey has been and what he has shown to people at Red Bull who promoted him to that seat initially, or I guess to the Williams team now, I think there is a driver who can perform in a similar way to what George Russell has been for Williams in the last few seasons. Not to say that George Russell or Alex Albon are going to be the savior of Williams, but I think that we can expect some positive performances pretty much right out the gate from Alex Albon, just given who he has been in the past, the racing skill and potential we know he has from his performances in the 2020 season and in that Red Bull car. So I don't see a reason to be pessimistic or not have a high standard or a high expectation for Albon's season this year. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that Red Bull chose him to replace Pierre Gasly when they chose him. Obviously, they see a lot of potential in him. He's obviously very fast, as most drivers are. Max Verstappen even said in an interview that he thinks Albon is fast. I mean, it's not like he's going to say, oh, yeah, Alex, he's slow. He doesn't deserve the seat. But still, (laughs) it's like it's a good kudos from the person who just won Mm -hmm. the WDC. Yeah, but. Obviously, like I said earlier, it's huge shoes to fill, especially with Williams now on the come up again. Being mm-hmm. such a historic team, they probably want to maintain that reputation. They don't want to be down in the gutters again. And Nicholas Latifi, his teammate, obviously isn't the best driver in the mm-hmm. world. I mean, by no means is he bad. He he certainly performed well when he was in F2. And sure, just because he's a pay driver doesn't mean he's bad by any means. I mean, he's known Akita Mazepin, but also... His teammate was George Russell, so it's really hard to gauge how good he was when your teammate is just the next big thing and you're just someone who also got brought along mainly for your money and sponsorship. So Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to see how this duo um, pairs out. I I know you wrote in the notes, uh, are Albon plus Latifi the duo to elevate Williams back to the midfield in their former glory? I don't think so. I mean... The team obviously isn't going to improve too much unless they found some crazy new regulations mm-hmm. um, that are going to help them. And they have a new engineering director, so maybe that'll help them. But at the end of the day, trying to replace George Russell is impossible. So you have to yeah. replace him with someone who is as close to George Russell as possible. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball. but <laughs> I was just thinking yeah. that, Justin. Yeah, as you, soon as you yeah, started d- talking about someone as close to him as possible. I was like, okay, this is a yeah. this is a Giambi moment. Yeah, yeah, it's like how do you replace Jeremy Giambi? Oh, you find someone, you find like a mix of three people who when averaged together exactly. perform just as well as him. But I I don't think this duo is going to be as good as Latifi and say um Russell because Russell's just that much better in my opinion. Ho- yeah. Hopefully I get proved wrong. I think Williams are a cool constructor. Obviously, they have lots of history in Formula One. They used to be one of the great, they are one of the greatest teams ever. Obviously, mm-hmm. in the past few years, anyone who's gotten into Formula One recently kind of see Williams as more of the la- laughing stock. But yeah. I think that they're going to be able to develop the car enough to the point where maybe this team is back in the points regularly again, which I'd be really interested to see. And yeah. then if so, like, do you think Albon and Latifi can actually push that car to its potential? I think Albon can. I don't know about Latifi, though. I Yeah, I pretty much completely agree with that assessment. I think that of these two drivers, Alex Albon is going to be the get-us-results, quote-unquote, driver. And Nicholas Latifi is, okay, we just need to see improvement from you. That's not to say that Nicholas Latifi is necessarily a horrendous driver or Nikita Mazepin levels of bad, but... You know, when you when we look at last season, given yes, okay, it was a different car. When we look at the performances, Latifi wasn't really anything special. He had a P seven. He finished seventh place, got some points in Hungary, but that Hungary race was a bit of a chaotic mess from the start, literally from lap one. And that's not to take anything away. Obviously, in F one, to score points, to win races, to perform well, you do need some amount of luck, and you do need things to go your way. So I don't blame him for that, but I think. Given what Williams was last year, and maybe it's an unfair comparison when we look at it from the George Russell lens in terms of his underperformance, maybe, that Latifi needs to step it up, I think, this season. I don't think that—I think the field in F1 now is becoming way too competitive, and people in 
like lower series such as formula 2 formula 3 are getting very 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 good and very fast and they are starting to get these test drive deals with the bigger formula 1 teams and if williams want to make that return back to where they've been you know decades prior they need to find some way to either get latifi up to speed no pun intended there or they need <laughs> to find a way to make this team a lot better because at the end of the day the driver has to drive the car the engineers who make the car can't do it so i think alex albon is a pretty safe bet i feel pretty high on that stock or that um how do i say it that option of him being there but i think nicholas latifi is the big wild card the big question mark for williams this year yeah, I think the one thing that they're going to really be missing out on this year is qualifying pace because mm-hmm. especially for those yeah, those teams lower in the field, it's it's really important to qualify as high as you can because it gives you the best chance of getting points because obviously it's very hard to start from the back and then go into the points if you're a lower field team, but if you're starting up near like I don't know, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, up all the way up to like P12, it gives you a pretty decent shot. So mm-hmm. it is it's probably going to be in my eyes can they put this car in qualifying somewhere where it's going to be reasonable for them to get points because I highly doubt they're going to be able to compete with the likes of McLaren with Ferrari with Red Bull with Mercedes but if they're already starting up there near the AlphaTauris the Alpines the uh, like actually yeah the the Aston Martins Mm -hmm. it's it's going to help them propel themselves into a ton of different uh, yeah. possibilities for points finishes rather than starting from the back and being kind of limited with the pitch strategy that they can do because then they will have to be fighting from the back the whole time. So obviously George Russell was a huge, yeah. hugely important factor in getting them a lot of their points last season because of how well he qualified. I mean, there was the, oh shoot, what was it? Remind me again. He was uh, in Q- he, Q3 four times, I think we agreed, he, after my editor's note missed. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, your editor's note mishap. So yeah, uh, I I think Alex Albon does have the pace to do that. I think Nicholas Latifi has the potential to do that because I've seen him race in F2 before. He's not slow by any means. Obviously, Mm -hmm. he's in a slower car, but I still think he's a great driver. So if I think there's one thing that Williams needs to have a successful season, it's going to be a car that can really put down those one-lap qualifying laps that can just propel them up higher than maybe their car can actually perform during race day, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think, you know, Nicholas Latifi has... I think this is the the potential and prove it kind of issue. Obviously, everyone in F1, besides Mazepin, caveat, deserves to be there. I think there is a reason that Latifi is in F1 outside of just the money and sponsorship that he brings. But... I would be very concerned if I were him going into this season and if I wasn't delivering results because, frankly, I don't think he has delivered the results that Williams would have wanted. Yes, I know the car wasn't great. Yes, George Russell was his teammate and George Russell made the car look a lot better than it was or you know, proved to us that something could be done out of it. But I think Latifi really needs to step it up this year. Otherwise, I don't see him being an F1 in, I guess, 2023. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the another key thing is consistency from both drivers. Yeah. Uh, last year, the first two races of the season, Latifi DNF'd out of both of them. Obviously, Albon didn't drive last year um, in the regular season. So it's kind of difficult for an outsider to look at this team and say, this te- this band of drivers is mm-hmm. going to be able to compete at the same level as everyone else. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Again, we know that both these drivers are fast. We we know they have the experience to do so. But when you're out of F1 for a year, and then obviously Nicholas Latifi has been in F1, but he's been more towards the back of the pack, it's going to be difficult to make that adjustment when you're going against guys who've been racing in, uh, in F1 for like five, six years and have been doing yeah. it very consistently. So obviously... Avoiding DNFs, avoiding disqualifications, they're going to have to work together pretty hard if they want to put up the results they want to get, which I think they can do. Both these drivers are on, again, they're like Alex Albon's on a one-year deal. Nicholas Latifi's on the last year of his deal, like you mentioned. So this is kind of a prove-it year for them. They're going to need to figure out a way to both, A, be consistent, 
and B, work together to get the results that Williams wants. And yeah. I think for Williams, that's multiple point finishes from each driver. I mean, mo- both drivers got at least two points finishes last year. So mm-hmm. there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do that again unless their car has gone absolutely down the drain. Obviously, with the new regulation changes, we won't really know how each car is performing until we get to preseason testing. But yeah. still, you got to have those point finishes if you want to start building your way back up the ranks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Williams definitely showed some amount of potential last year. I don't think that even even if we consider Nicholas Latifi's P7 in Hungary and the circumstances around that, I think the Williams car did have something positive going for it. I think of the three teams at the bottom, 8, 9, 10, Williams, Haas, and Alfa Romeo. Obviously, Williams were in eighth, but I do think that Williams were definitely a step ahead of where Alfa Romeo and Haas were last year. I think that, like you said, with both drivers being on one or the last year of their contracts, I think this is a big, let's try what works at Williams, and let's see how we can return back to midfield glory or become back what we were you know decades ago when you know someone like Ayrton Senna was driving for Williams yeah I think one of the really interesting things that they're doing this year this is I think one of the coolest things is uh I don't know if you saw this I I was I figured it out like just recently but they obviously parted ways with Adam Carter their engineering director and brought in this is a French name so I'm about to botch this but Francois Xavier de Maison uh, the article that I was reading about him said that like people call him FX for short, so I'm just going to okay. refer to him as FX. And he's helped with Volkswagen for the last like 10 years or so and led them to four World Rally Championships and worked under Peugeot's engine program. I think this is an interesting move going for a brand new engineering director because obviously it brings a ton of risk because it's someone who, A, has never worked Um, in this capacity in Formula One before. And that's always extremely dangerous because Formula One is all about experience. I mean, you normally see the teams that have been here the longest typically do the best. Mm -hmm. The people who have worked in F1 the longest are known even to like some of the fans by name, like some of the big technical directors and all that stuff. So the names of the people working on the cars are hugely important. And Obviously, like I just said, going outside of F1 for your new like head of engineering director, it's a pretty big move. But here's my thing. I think this is the best year to do it because I know we say it a million times, but regulation changes change literally everything. We don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. because every team has to design pretty much a brand new car. Yeah. So if you're going to change engineering directors, this is the best year to do it. And I think this is Williams kind of putting an advancement towards the future. I know the article that I read said that they want to be investing in like younger engineers, ones who are most up to date on like the current technology of racing and motorsport and all that, which I think this is a great move from Williams because no other team has really gone to the same extent that uh, they have in terms of hiring new personnel for the Mm -hmm. research and development part of their car. So this really gives them the opportunity in maybe the next two, three years to step ahead because they're going to have a more experienced team, more young team looking at this car, designing it, making it faster. So I I do really like them bringing in this new guy, FX. I wonder how much of an impact he's really going to have on the team this first year. Obviously, he's been working with them all offseason. He's going to be here for the next few years. So I think Williams is taking a step in the right direction with this move. Yeah, I think that whenever a team makes a significant engineering change or a technical direction change, I always think it's very, very important to consider where that new person has come from. Obviously, you know, FX is from, uh, where's he from? Oh, World Rally Championship. And that is by no means a easy series to develop cars for. Not that developing cars for any motorsport series is easy, but World Rally has its own set of very challenging Um, you know, terrain has its own set of challenging rules, regulations, and a lot of things going on. So I I do think that bringing in someone with new ideas is a good thing for Williams. Obviously, we've seen that the last few years kind of sticking with the same mentality has not paid the dividends they wanted outside of George Russell probably putting that car on his back and, you know, (laughs) producing out-of-the-world performances and qualifying and during races somehow. And like you said, I think with new regulations coming in, now is a better time than ever to 
make changes in technical direction style to try something new to be bold because in f1 you don't win without taking risks and i think williams have understood that to their credit and i don't think we can fault them for taking a step like that to try their best to make some sort of way for themselves make some sort of path and then climb out of this bottom of the field situation that they were in last year yeah and i mentioned uh few minutes ago that I think for Williams to have a successful season, they're going to need to be able to put in those like one lap qualities that kind of propel them towards the points. Uh, What do you think is the key to Williams this season for them to have a quote successful season? Yeah, I think, you know, as we said earlier, I think it has to start with Alex Albon because personally, I feel like he is driver number one. And that's not to say that Latifi is going to be an irrelevant piece of this. I think of the 10 teams on the field this next year, I think Williams has to be the most team-oriented team. And I know that's a very like roundabout way of saying things, but I do think that <laughs> Williams have to be focused less on propping up Alex Albon and propping up Nicholas Latifi because they are on one-year deals. They are not long-term signings for the team. And at the same time, they have to use that and say, okay, we're going to give you guys a strong product. Show us that you can be viable for the future and that this partnership is something that we can carry forward. And I think that is what's going to form the foundation. I think, like you said, qualifying, they need to have strong performances. I think they need to be making it out of, they need to be strongly in the middle of the pack. They need to be making it out of Q1 very, very frequently, if not every time. I think Williams, we have to put higher standards on them than the other two teams, maybe just because of what we've seen the potential of Williams be. I think Yeah, we, we know they can perform well, at least compared to Haas and Alfa Romeo from last year. Yeah. They they definitely have the potential to be back where they were like decades ago. Obviously not this year, but mm-hmm. in the upcoming years they do. So it it's probably a bit nerve wracking for them this upcoming season, not having that uh, that one driver who's really better than everyone else on the... Well, mm-hmm. not everyone else on the grid, but he's he's leaps and bounds better than a lot of other driving talent. And you're kind of going back to a lineup of two people who obviously are both good drivers, but not as good. So it's going to be interesting to see Williams, if they can actually maintain the position they did, what, P8 in the championship last year, or if they can make a push forward and maybe start challenging the likes of Aston Martin if Aston Martin stays in the same place they were yeah. last year. Yeah, I think I think points, strong, consistent points finishes has to be the target for Williams this year. I think consistently finding that car, that Williams car in something like P7, 8, 9, 10 is something we can hope for just given the general air of Formula One. Uh, I think that will be a strong performance out of Williams this year, and I think that's what they should be shooting for. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's a good spot to wrap it up on Williams. So let's yeah. go to the... I'm very excited to talk about Aston Martin because oh, of the... Yeah, because of the car launch that happened. Yes. We're recording this on Saturday, February 12th, which means the car launch was yesterday, I think. I don't know. I, I'm ago. losing... I, dude, I'm losing track of the days <laughs> between, with like all the stuff that I have to do. But wait, it was two days ago? Yeah, it was on Thursday. Oh my McLaren God. McLaren was wait. yesterday. Oh, McLaren was yesterday. Oh, okay. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Aston Martin, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you are hearing Aston Martin 2022? I think it is they need to be a lot better than they were. I'm yeah, not they need to, they need to step it up. They were yeah. expecting P3 last year and they ended in P7 and yeah. that is just absolutely disastrous. Just thinking about the fact that they were, you know, Force India became racing point and they were pretty much P3. They were P3 in the constructors in 2020, weren't they? Yeah, I they were the, so. they were the third best constructor. Yeah, because they oh, they, they beat Ferrari. Yeah, in 2020, in 2020. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. I was very, very hype for Aston Martin. I love Aston Martin as a brand. I think that their the racing green that they have on the car looks absolutely stunning. I think it's one of the best colors I've seen. Pause, on- pause. I, I did this so I won't have the editors note you. Yeah, they didn't, uh, they were fourth in 2020. <laughs> Who was third? McLaren. 
Oh, for, Ferrari wait, no, I remember six that year because of a garbage Ferrari engine. Yeah. Oh no, I remember in the last Drive to Survive episode in season three, like they choke the they choke the lead in the last two races or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But still, still very impressive, and you don't want to be yeah. dropping from P four to P seven in one year, especially when you had your yeah. hopes set on P three, especially with the driver lineup you have. I mean, Sebastian Vettel, four time world champion, and Lance Stroll, who by no means is a bad driver you are expecting a lot more than P7. And yeah. one of the big issues they had last year, when I was looking up the results, I found that both Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll were just constantly right outside the points. Each of them had five finishes, uh, either in P11 or P12, which obviously nets you no points. So you got to, first of all, they should not even be down at in p11 p12 the car is should not be down there we know that sebastian vettel had the most overtakes of anyone last year which Mm -hmm. isn't a good thing okay like just because the the overtaking award me and sasha talk about this all the time is a stupid award because it just means your car is slow in qualifying so aston martin get your stuff together and (laughs) i I don't want to have to put the explicit tag on this video so i i'm I'm trying to watch it i don't know if i okay regardless aston martin needs to get their stuff together and get a car that can actually lay down a decent qualifying lap because sebastian vettel shouldn't have to be starting from near the like closer to the mid slash bottom of the field and have to fight his way back up to get in the points because it's again like we were saying earlier it's so much harder to do that than start from like p6 p7 and maintain that position so Aston Martin, let's see what you can actually do. Make a car that can go fast when you don't have much fuel and you're just trying to go around that yeah. that that circuit as fast as you can. Yeah. It was it was really disappointing because you saw the potential that the Aston Martin car had last year. Yeah. And even when we think about it in the context of 2020, 2020 they were obviously racing point and they kept most of their senior management obviously <laughs> racing that point has... or Mercedes B. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mercedes B honestly. But, you know, they kept most of their upper management going into the Aston Martin rebrand. And I don't think there was a reason. I genuinely think that, you know, 2020, they went from Checo Perez and Lance Stroll. And then 2021, they had Aston or they had Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. And I do think that I think Sebastian Vettel is a better driver than Perez. And for that car to be. Yes, I also think that the guy who won four WDCs (laughs) is better than a guy who has won one race. Hey, hey, editors know oh, oh, so, has two so, races. He has two race runs. Sorry, sorry, I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> but, you know, I think last season we can pretty much categorize as an abject failure for Aston Martin and everyone Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Absolutely it was. And I was the, so the disappointed. That, yeah. And the thing is, I, were you watching the entirety of the car launch? Because I, I think you were, because we were texting. I watched it. most of it, yeah. So the thing that I noticed that was like kind of boring to me is that Lawrence Stroll, when he was presenting, was like really kind of talking about this like big five-year plan or yeah, whatever yeah, it was, yeah. where I was like, I feel like obviously that's just to please the investors. And mm-hmm. do they not have much confidence in their car where they're like, yeah, we're going to be competing this year? Because if you're so focused on like developing the car for the future, then what does that mean about where your car is right yeah. now? I mean, that that cannot possibly be good news. Maybe, like, I know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but, like, that was my first reaction when he kept yeah. mentioning it over and over. I was like, this isn't giving me any confidence that Aston Martin's going to finish any higher than they were last year. And Aston Martin, no offense, but it's kind of a boring team to watch because they weren't fighting against anyone because yeah. they were better than the likes of Williams, Haas, Alfa Romeo, but they also were nowhere close to the likes of Alpine, Alphatari. They were literally, like smack dab in the middle of those like two quality yeah, yeah. like those two differences in quality where yeah, I think they, they were, were nearly they were nearly 50 points clear of Williams but almost 70 points short of AlphaTauri in six like yeah. it was a they were in it their own massive. bubble so yeah so it's the same thing we were talking about with Mick uh Schumacher in the Haas episode it's like who are they actually racing against because if you're that solidly in mm-hmm. or if you're solidified that much in one constructor's position then it's it's not fun to watch you race because it's like okay you're not actually battling anyone because you're not going to drop in place and you're definitely not going up in place so aston martin needs to figure out a way where they can again put down a good qualifying lap so they can actually be competing with the other midfield teams yeah i think just going back to your point about lauren stroll's whole five-year plan 
I guess, parroting or very adamant repetition. I'm not going to lie. He he did bring it up a worrying amount of times. When Aston Martin came into F1 in 2021 last year with their whole Racing Point rebrand, it was, I think this whole five-year plan is more of a business side of things. I don't know how much of it is the oh, F1 car winning trajectory because they do have their new, you know, factory and test setup and developmental stage in Silverstone that they're building right now. I think it's going to open later this year or maybe next year. But, you know, the amount of resource that Lawrence Stroll has put into this team in all of its iterations, I don't think that someone like him is going to have kept that up if the management and the people responsible for developing the car could not show him some sort of strong product. Which is fair. Yeah, which is like, okay, fine. You know, Lawrence Stroll is not an engineer, but he's also a very good businessman, and I, I think he knows when people are, you know, selling him snake oil, so to speak. Like, he knows <laughs> he knows when people are not... I, I would hope he's smart enough to understand when people don't know what they're doing. And I don't have any reason to think that the people at Aston Martin don't know what they're doing. Now, obviously, last year, you know, they had a Mercedes engine, and we know how good the Mercedes engine is. And they just did not produce results outside of two races. I, I think that is just horrifying considering the talent they have there i think aston martin are very likely going to be either again the biggest disappointment of 2022 or the most improved team in 2022 and i don't think there's an in-between but most improved team like what is that even worth when they were already gunning for p3 last year like no matter what like like you said abject failure last season and if they're not putting their car back where they were two years ago then What's what's the future of this team? Oh yeah, you have a five year plan. I can't wait to watch exactly. you be completely mediocre for the next like two or three years before you're relevant again. I think, obviously, since we're reviewing teams for the upcoming season, we want them to be good now. But yeah. it's it's kind of like, oh god, I don't know if I'm gonna get like flack for saying this, but it's kind of a loser mentality to be like, yeah, we're gonna yeah. kind of throw these next few years so that we can do better in the future. Like, it's it's just not a good look for them, yeah, in see, my that opinion. Yeah, see, that just makes it sound like a Haas that isn't as slow. <laughs> yeah. Like, they just kind of throw away, like, two years. And, and I brought this up on the Haas show that, is this just a 76ers-style trust the process? You know, I I really, really hope that Aston Martin are not in a trust the process phase. I really hope that this is a win now situation because there's no reason you sign a world champion driver like Sebastian Vettel and tell him that he's going to be part of a rebuild. Yeah. Right. That's like Aaron Rodgers moment. Yeah. I, I, I just don't think that Aston Martin are in a, you know, rebuilding or building up phase. I really want them to be good this year. And I think they will be good this year because one thing that is very interesting as of recording the show As far as we know, the Aston Martin AMR 22, the car that they showed off on Thursday the 10th, is the only car we've seen so far that is actually what is going to go on track, or is the closest thing that we're going to get to a track car, probably. I don't know if that's going to change with the next few reveals. We have four car slash livery launches next week, but... I really am excited for Aston Martin. If you look at the Aston Martin car, it looks very, very strikingly different to the model Formula One car that the Formula One group put out last year to show us what the cars would sort of look like. And I'm very excited that Aston Martin have seemingly deviated from the path that Formula One thought most teams would take. Now, is that a risk that is unwarranted? I don't know. But I just feel very optimistic. I love Aston Martin. I think they're a really cool brand. I think they have a really cool livery. I want them to be so good, so bad, and I just don't want to be disappointed again. Yeah, and just to kind of build off the whole, they're the, quote, only team to launch their car so far, which I believe. I mean, we know Haas was just kind of a rendering. Red Bull just slapped their livery on. We don't know if the McLaren, like, I I don't know if there was information put out about it, if the McLaren uh, was their real car, but... Uh, the Aston Martin, uh, obviously, is the one that we know for sure is their quote-unquote car launch. And their chief technology officer, Andrew Green, was pretty adamant about it being this way because he said with like the cars being so new this year, 
there's obviously a risk of unforeseen problems when the that could yeah. happen when the car first hits the track. If if you don't have that car fully developed and you're still doing R&D like a month out from the season, what happens if something like catastrophically fails and you mm-hmm. have to design a much slower part? Uh, so if teams leave it like way too late to like actually launch their car and then they discover issues during preseason testing, there's a risk of them not being able to run their car preseason testing, which obviously would be quite disastrous. Now, I don't know how much of that is him just kind of putting pressure on other teams to reveal their car or if it's just him kind of uh, petting his own team on the head for launching (laughs) their car already. But I I kind of agree with him. You got to start launching your cars so that, A, I really want to see it and my opinion matters because obviously my opinion matters. And B, <laughs> you you want your car out as early as possible so that you can make those necessary changes yeah. if if they aren't so good. The simulator can only tell you so much. We know they're extremely sophisticated, have like the most modern, insane physics, uh, like simulators and engines and whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, nothing is going to compare to actually having that car on the track for preseason testing and making sure that it yeah. can handle those outside variables that maybe aren't accounted for in the simulator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we saw the, they had like a little bit of a filming day. It was more just for content and marketing promotion, pretty much. But it was the for those impressions. Go out on track. They did drive it a little bit around Silverstone. So, you know, I'm very interested to see what the car can be. I think it's not, yeah, I think it's not. I think it looks nice. I think it sounds great. I think it looks, it performs how a Formula One car should perform. I don't think anyone saw anything horribly wrong or questionable with the cars. So, I think, well, it's not like they were trying to put in quality laps or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just driving it around. They, I think it was perfectly sunny and they had the car on the full wet tire for some reason. So, yeah, you know, again, they're not, it, yeah. they were just farming for impressions. They weren't really actually <laughs> testing the car. Plus, I don't yeah. think they're allowed to test the car. Until preseason Preseason, yeah. I guess, you know, we can ask this question about Aston Martin, but given Sebastian Vettel, given Lance Stroll, given the resources we know that they have, what does a successful season look like for Aston Martin, Justin? My favorite question that we're going to ask for every constructor, so I hope no one gets tired of it. Um, (laughs) Make a car that can go fast. Like, what... Your your constructor was so good for like the two years before last year. Mm-hmm. What what happened in between? Uh, obviously, like I said earlier, you need to start not from the bottom of the field to actually give yourself a good chance at points. Two, you need to not have Sebastian Vettel disqualify or DNF three races in a row. It's a really bad look for the team, and it yeah. probably lowers team morale quite a lot. And in Formula One, everything being a team sport, it kind of mm-hmm. matters how high your team morale is. So I don't think that it's good if you're running out of car every weekend and then either not letting it finish the race or getting it disqualified. I mean, that hungry P2 was probably like disastrous for the team. For those of you who don't know, Sebastian Vettel got P2 in Hungary last year and his car was disqualified because there wasn't enough fuel left in it at the end for the FIA to test it to make sure that it was okay or whatever. So... I think that they need to make sure that they're consistent in, uh, what, putting enough fuel in their cars. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't even have to say that. But, yeah, yeah, they they need to actually develop a car that can compete where they want to compete because it's not going to look good to investors if they're like, hey, we're gunning for P3, and then now they're fighting with freaking AlphaTauri and, yeah. and Haas and Williams and all the people at the bottom of the yeah. field that don't get any screen time on F1 because these <laughs> brands advertise on F1 cars because so many people watch the races. Mm-hmm. And then if you have Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel down in P13 and P11, no one's going to get to see this car and then investors are going to pull out and then this five-year plan isn't going to work and it's just yeah. going to be the butterfly effect on steroids just absolutely destroying <laughs> this brand. Yeah, and maybe I, maybe I'm being a little bit dramatic, but like I, no, I don't I don't think I am. I think Aston Martin are. How do I say this? I think they are definitely on the hottest seat this year, in terms of constructors. I think everyone was so excited for them, just seeing the success of Racing Point in 2019, 2020, and then we got Aston Martin. We saw a very historic, iconic British brand coming back into Formula One, and then we just got a solid P7 with 
nothing really to write home about. So I, I think Aston Martin need to be heavily scrutinized and they need to be held accountable. Like I, I think this is a very make or break esque year for Aston Martin because they are for for what they have, for the setup they have, for the money they have, for the driver lineup they have, they should not have been in P seven last year. That is like it's disastrous. Yeah. I don't know how how that happened, honestly. Like they should have probably been closer to fourth, I think. That car was not I don't know. Just just having a Mercedes engine on its own should give you at least P five. I think in a championship, <laughs> that engine Jesus. is so fast. That engine is so good, and then they just I completely. Know. But the en- engine isn't. I think it shows that engine isn't everything in a car. It shows exactly. that you know aero matters. Uh, obviously, there's tons of other factors that matter other than just the one engine. Mm-hmm. And Aston Martin need to design the car around that and be like, hey, we need more than just a yeah. really good engine and. Um, we know that the the power unit is reliable, but if you're not designing a car that can correctly handle that power unit, then then what are you what are you doing in F1? And we know, yeah. as we said, they have this whole quote unquote five year plan, which is definitely exciting as a spectator. Don't you love it when your favorite <laughs> sports team is like, we're gonna do a five year rebuild? That's yeah. like oh my, or or the Phillies who are doing a a fifteen year rebuild, but. <laughs> Sorry to our non-American listeners, who of which there are not many, but the Phillies are a baseball team here who have not been very good for the last decade or so. When this is completely off-topic, but I, I felt the need to say yeah. it. Yeah, no, but it's it's been rough. Just I feel yeah. like F one is one of those sports where you have to be in win now mode. So because it's so expensive to compete yeah. in it, if you're not winning, if you're not making money, I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're selling merchandise and your team is making money, I guess that's fine. But if you're not winning, then what are you doing in Formula One, really? These drivers are very, very, very competitive people. I don't think that can be overstated, just how much they all want to win that title. But a team like Aston Martin, please, they need to be they need to be performing a lot better. They need to be in that top of the midfield this year. I think that is the successful season for them. I think anything short of that is probably just another bad season for them. So who do you think they should be? Do you, I think they should. They have to be Alf, Alpine and Alfatari. For sure. They have to be in the M- McLaren and Ferrari bracket of teams. Yeah, and maybe they won't be able to compete with McLaren and Ferrari, but they have to at least be up there. Yeah, well, they can definitely compete with McLaren in terms of producing a good livery. Oh my goodness, that McLaren livery was horrendous. Dude, we're going to get hate for that one. I also did not like the McLaren livery. I did livery. not. I At first, I th- looked at it and I was like, okay, I kind of like the blue. And then I was like, no, when I look at the Aston Martin livery with that racing green and then the lime green accents, it's just so much nicer. And, mm. you know, maybe that's the only good thing Aston Martin does this year. But for me, that's, well, it's not enough. But it's yeah, a start. I was going to say, there's no way that that can be enough for you. <laughs> I, they need to perform better on the track yeah. than just a nice little lime green stripe. That is true. Yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe looking into drivers, I think we all know what Sebastian Vettel has done. We all know his ability to drive a car is probably, he is probably, I think we can say he's, maybe this is an overstatement because of my absolute love for Sebastian Vettel, but I think he's one of the great Formula One drivers of all time. I don't think that's like a hot, is that a hot take? I don't know. Is it a hot take to say someone who won the WDC four times is one of the greatest? Yeah, but then people, what are you you on? But then, but then people say that, you know, someone like Senna, how many titles does Senna have? Three, four? I don't know. I don't think I think Senna. I don't even know if Senna has four. I think Senna has three. Editors know me if I'm wrong. He's either got three or four. But then people say, "Oh no, Senna was better than Vettel," which is uh, like oh, you. It's comparing apples to oranges. Yeah. Like, I, it, I, don't I don't know. I think I Sebastian think Vettel is very very good. I think he will be. I think he should be driver number one. I don't know how I feel about Lance Stroll. Justin, I know you are a Sir Lancelot fan. I know that Lance Stroll is. I don't know. T- share your thoughts on Lance Stroll, just so just so we know. I guess, where your perspective on that is. Lance Stroll deserves the seat, and Lance Stroll is never going to be out of that seat for as long as Lawrence Stroll is <laughs> investing in this team. So yeah. you got to learn to love him, or you can just, I don't know, or you can just deal with it, because he's not leaving the seat anytime soon, and I don't think he's a bad driver by any means. Yeah. At least compared to, I think out of like the pay drivers, him, Latifi, and Mazepin, is there anyone else? Uh, not really. Juan Zhao. Oh, um, yeah. 
but we we don't know what he's capable yeah but of those four i would say lance troll is probably the best driver yeah I agree. um and like i said him both him and sebastian vettel need to not be in those p11 p12 mm-hmm. spots where they're barely missing out on points they shouldn't even be that low anyway but if you're yeah. going to be that low you might as well at least try to scratch that one point out of the car but mm-hmm. I, I I think Lance Stroll is just fine um, for this team, especially when you're pairing him up with Sebastian Vettel. Now, did Sebastian Vettel have the best season in the world last um, season? No, he actually had a pretty rough season by his standards. Yeah. But how much of it was the car versus how much of it was him? But I I don't think Lance Stroll is prohibiting this team from the potential that they could reach. I think yeah. that he has the capacity to... I mean, we we know he has the capacity to be on the podium. He's done it before. So yeah. there's no reason that like someone can look at Lance Stroll and be like, oh, Aston Martin are bad because they're, they have a pay driver. Like, he's just fine. And yeah. sure, he makes mistakes just like every other driver does, but... At least he produces some of the best team radios. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you have like his, he just has such a frat boy voice that like every time you hear him on the radio, he, I can't tell if he's like serious or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, our first, one of our first clips, the the pit confirm button is the okay button, Brad. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I, I, I agree. I think Lance Stroll is just fine. I think this is one of the cases where Aston Martin as a team or as a car maker for formula one they were bad last year and it wasn't really the drivers versus someone like williams last year where they just had a bad car and they relied on george russell to deliver the you know results that they sort of had last year i think you know lance stroll he has taken a pole position he has been on the podium multiple times when they were racing point you know even sebastian vettel last year he was you know i'm gonna count hungary as a podium because i think the whole fia fuel regulation i think that one that was just horrible just let sebastian vettel have his thing he drove well that day so the Aston martin was on the podium twice now granted it did take some circumstances for that to happen but still a podium is a podium so i don't think aston martin are necessarily horrible i just think they severely severely underperformed given the talent that they had and i really hope that they can reach their potential this year because I think it is definitely there. Yeah. So final thoughts on Aston Martin and Williams and where do you think they're going to finish this season? Actually, you uh, went first last time, so I'll yeah, go first this you go, time. You go. Williams is going to be in P8 again. <laughs> I don't <sighs> think... Man. I don't think that Albon and Latifi are, are enough to push this car out of the, the gutter unless the car drastically changes in quality compared to the rest Mm -hmm. of the field but here's the first time out of the two episodes so far that i'm deviating from a team holding their position from last season Mm -hmm. i think aston martin will be p5 in the championship next year so i I also agree they're gonna improve from p7 and we're gonna get to see some cool like p6 p7 battles between like i don't know vettel stroll maybe Norris, Ricardo. It, we're, mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to see some cool battles this year yeah. because I, I can't imagine the car is possibly worse than it was last year, Yeah. at least in comparison to the rest of the field. So yeah. I'm, I will go with Aston Martin P5 and Williams P8. Yeah, I am probably going to stick with that. The highest I can really see Williams finishing is seventh in this field. I think, but probably eight is a more realistic spot for them. Aston Martin, I think they do have to leapfrog AlphaTauri and Alpine this year. I think fifth is a good spot for them. I think, I still think Ferrari and McLaren will be a little bit too strong, just given what last year was. I think Ferrari showed us a lot of improvement in the second half of the year. McLaren were pretty solidly the third best team, fourth best team all year. I don't know. I, I think Aston Martin will be a good car. I just think they will be a little bit short of what what they could be or what the field is. Yeah, and I think that is probably a pretty decent place to wrap up this episode. I've covered everything I yeah. wanted to about Williams and Aston Martin. So if you have any final thoughts, go ahead. And if not, you can take us to the outro. Yeah. Justin, I'll ask you one more question. Or actually, okay. two more questions. So okay. Aston Martin, can they win a race this year? No. Next question. <laughs> okay. 
Now, obviously, for our American listeners, the Super Bowl is tomorrow. Justin, who do you have in the Super Bowl? Joe Joe Burrow, number one quarterback in the league. <laughs> All right, you heard it here first because I'm going to edit this episode so it can be uploaded by tomorrow morning. Joe yeah. Burrow will lead the Bengals to a 27-23 victory over the Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, I 100% agree. I think... I'm a big believer in this whole Tim the Tatman curse and the Drake curse. They both picked the Rams to win. Now, as much as I love some of the players on the Rams, you know, like Aaron Donald, I think he deserves his ring. Odell Beckham Jr., I think he's a very flashy player. I love the way he plays wide receiver. But I think Joe Burr and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and the Bengals are just going to absolutely walk away with this thing just because the curses that Tim and Drake put on them. So I think Bengals... I'm going to say 24-21, Shooter McPherson. Shooter walk McPherson? Off, walk off field goal. It has to happen. The legend has to continue, I think. It's, it's going to be a 60-yard walk off. Yeah, God, I hope so. I just hope it's a good game tomorrow, and I really hope the Bengals win. Yeah, I I hope so as well. Anyways, thank you for listening this week. We appreciate the support as always. Next week we have... A uh, very exciting episode for Sashwa because yes. it will feature his favorite constructor, Alphatari. Yes. Uh, and he's obviously also a big fan of Alpine, as am I, because they have Fernando Alonso, number one Max Verstappen <laughs> fan. And, but yeah, it, I think these episodes are only going to get more exciting to talk about the farther we go up in the field, because obviously mm-hmm. the farther we go up in the field, the more intense these teams are about advancing their position to eventually win a WDC. We know McLaren want to win a WDC and World Constructors. We know Ferrari, obviously, they really want to get up there to the point where they're winning something again. Um, Mercedes wants to keep their dominance. Red Bull want to have a repeat champion. So the farther we go every week, I think it's going to get a little bit more exciting. So please stay tuned. Obviously, follow us on all our socials, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at F1 on one pod. Those are the number ones. And I think that's about everything I need to say. Please rate us five stars on wherever you go to listen to this podcast and peace. Yeah. Thanks for listening guys. See you next week.